When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Good morning, welcome to Wednesday's Cork Today. Our lines are open, 0818-103-103. Bernie standing by, taking your comments and indeed calls right across the show. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 or indeed email us corktoday at c103.ie. Ahead on this morning's programme, RTE bosses are appearing yet again before the Oireachtas Media Committee later to discuss the finances at the broadcaster. The committee, first of all, will be looking at what happened over the summer months within RTE in case of reform and their Director General Kevin Backhurst will update the committee then on the work carried out over the summer Uh, but it's expected this afternoon that RTE could ask the government for a top-up of €50 million Uh, A lot of those within the coalition and indeed in opposition find this uh, too rich for their blood and are questioning this. Well, it comes now as the state broadcaster is coming under mounting pressure uh, to look at selling off its Montrose campus in Dublin 4. This will be part of a radical cost-cutting measure within the company. And also it comes as the OPW minister from Newcastle West, Patrick O'Donovan, he is suggesting publicly that RTE could release uh, north of over 300 million euros if they sold off the 23.5 acre site. And he made a a valid point where he said there is support for the proposed sell-off of those lands growing among ministers privately. And as the cabinet source also has outlined something needs to be done, uh, Patrick O'Donovan, the minister, has said if Virgin Media can broadcast out of an industrial estate in Ballymount, then it begs the question why RTE is broadcasting out of probably one of the most lucrative sites in Western Europe. Uh, the chair of the Oireachtas Media Committee has said it would be foolish to rule out selling Montrose. Everything has to be on the table. That's from Fianna Fáil's Niamh Smith, who's chair of that committee. And while they're looking at the site and where would they go if they sell the site, that would release huge money. That would obviously you know, trade off the losses that have been made there. Also, you need to look at staffing. Is there too much staff there uh, within the organisation when, again, independent uh, radio and TV can operate similar services with less staff? Obviously, you do need a lot of staff for the investigation programmes and for certain news uh, programmes they do. But outside of that, do they need the staff? And then you do need the money as well for state broadcasting by way of uh, Irish language programming and culture programming. But 
the reason the money is needed is because people have just simply stopped paying their TV licence. A drop of over 53,000 payments. Uh, that, if you calculate it into a revenue stream, means that it's plummeted by 8.5 million euros since the start of this controversy. And then with all of that, as they go in looking for money, they cannot confirm then with an RTE how many employees are in receipt of a car allowance. And these that get the car allowance do not have to have a driver's licence as staff are not required to show proof to get the payment. So you could receive a car allowance but not drive a car. And yet they're looking for a bailout. Now you'd wonder are all the public organisations run in a similar vein? You could look at the HSE and look at the costs of money being bailed into the HSE and then have a situation whereby they're not providing a service where we have huge waiting lists where they are sending people to various hospitals across the country for a service that should be provided in their local public hospital. And then we have the chaos with trolley figures and the lack of nurses and doctors and all of that going in within uh, the hospital network and indeed within the HSC. So uh, while we're mentioning RTE here, you would wonder, is it just right across the public service and indeed the civil service, a waste of money because they continue to get the money from you and me, the taxpayer who bails them out. But it seems this time around, looking first of all at RTE, the bailout from ministers, there's no appetite there and I doubt uh, from a public point of view there's a big appetite here to give a huge amount of money, 50 million euro uh, to keep things running there out of Donnybrook. Your views are welcome on that across the morning 0818 103 103 or text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and as I said I wonder if uh, if they delve into other public organisations would it be of a similar veil. That is ahead anyhow between now and one I'm sure we'll hear more tomorrow on that and what happens within uh, the Oireachtas Media Committee. Also ahead on the show uh, pro by farmers. As you know, they were held over the last two days outside the Fianna Fáil thinking uh, the horse and jockey in Tipperary. This was over what they see as a lack of action on nitrate changes proposed by, and not proposed, they were proposed, now they're coming in uh, from the EU Commission in the new year. We're going to speak with the IFA on why they held these protests and indeed will holding protests like this, will they achieve anything? Is this just going to happen now? Uh, your views are welcome. Also, the Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications will join us as they are holding a number of consultation meetings regarding proposals for offshore wind farms off the Cork coast. These wind farms are proposed from the coastline of Kinsale uh, down to Yole and indeed parts of Waterford. We'll be speaking with them this morning on the programme. If you have a question about what is proposed, please do get those into us uh, good and early. And we're going to hear about the Adult Literacy for Life strategy. This is where they want everyone to progress to their potential in life. We'll speak with them this morning. Coffee mornings are going to be held within the next week for Marymount Hospice. We'll hear why the Hospice Network holds this fundraiser and the importance of the funds raised every year for the Hospice Network. Of course, Marymount, uh, the one that most people are familiar with here in Cork. And after 12.30, Peter Dowdall answers your gardening questions. Get those into us across the morning. If you have photos 
as well get them into us uh, nice and early so Peter can look at the photos before he goes on air uh, you can WhatsApp 0862103103 or email your photos to corktoday at c103.ie but do send them in early so that he can have a look at them and, and analyse them and everything before he uh, he goes on air with us otherwise uh, he may not be able to answer your question correctly so that and more between now and one as I said lines and emails are open and yesterday we had a number of calls not only yesterday and the day before as well from people who unfortunately could not get their child on a public school transport bus uh, to go along to various schools we had heard a solution that has uh, thankfully been made for those in the Duff area where they can and now are attending the schools again in their area and indeed in Blarney uh, still problems in the Glenville area and in areas of Watergrass Hill and we heard on the comment line yesterday again uh, from those in the Bandon area who are attending schools uh, near Bandon Town one of those was Laura and we did contact Boss Aaron on this uh, to find out what is happening because the parents are telling us that they see the school buses leaving and this is really uh, right across Cork, not just in Bandon, it's, it's the other areas I mentioned and elsewhere. The school bus turns up, it collects the, a, a number of uh, kids from an estate or from an area and then drives off. But those who cannot get the concessionary tickets or the tickets for the school bus, uh, the parents are driving behind the school bus with their child to that school as well while there are empty seats on the bus. Now, we made this point to Boss Aaron, who are looking into some of the issues that have been experienced over the last number of weeks in various areas. But on that issue of why is a bus arriving to an area and then leaving with empty seats? Well, their answer back to that is that the school transport tickets, as we know, are allocated on an annual basis. Now, they sent a quite a lengthy statement and rather than us telling, you know, outlining everything that we already know, uh, I think this is the part that people will be most interested in. And they say on the empty school bus seats, naturally, it can arise that children do not use every daily service, for example, through illness or attendance at after school activities in the event that a family that has received a ticket, whether they're eligible or indeed a concessionary, and they find that they are no longer required school transport, Bus Aaron requests them to return the ticket to Bus Aaron's local school transport office so that the seat then can be reallocated. So they're saying if there is too many empty seats in the bus, uh, basically maybe the parents need to ask but then if everybody is going to the school and I mean that they're more saying that the parents need to challenge those or ask those who maybe are not using the bus and have a ticket and maybe are driving them to school themselves. Uh, but from a wearing, that's not the case. There's simply everybody that's getting a ticket is using the bus and no one is getting a ticket and not using the bus from those that we know anyhow. And maybe there is situations whereby people have tickets, but for some reason they get the tickets and they don't use the bus. And then this is why you have the empty seats. If that is the case, they should be given back to the school transport office and then they can be reallocated out, as they say. Uh, but from what we're hearing, I don't think that is all of the case. Anyhow, that is the latest we have back from Bus Aaron on that regarding the school transport issue. Interesting, though, uh, the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, he was held to account yesterday by Fine Gael politicians because they called him into a meeting and it was to do with the bus situation for school transport and he has come out saying that now he will examine if they can use the local link bus services to solve problems with the school bus services right across the country. Uh, Eamon Ryan, he made the commitment at this meeting. Uh, seemingly there was about a dozen of those Fine Gael TDs and senators uh, which were in at this. It was 
initially to talk about the stalled road projects, but because there's so much anger over the school transport system, uh, this was the first question they put to him. And he did look at various ways of where they could actually work around this if they don't have the resources within Bosiran. Local Link is one uh, example where he can use their services for school transport. Also, though, many are asking for the bar on drivers over 70 operating school buses should end and that would mean there'd be more uh, drivers for school buses because in certain areas some of the operators say they can't get drivers and if that bar was lifted then you would have more drivers available to drive school buses. And this meeting was organised by the Fine Gael Senator uh, Michal Carrigy and he also within the meeting was asking the Transport Minister away from uh, school transport issues around our roads and some of the road projects that they need to proceed with and they need to go ahead and start building these roads and they felt that the roads were basically forgotten about and that they you know they, they weren't going ahead with any of these roads and why was this and two of the roads that were mentioned here in Cork are the Cork City Northern Ring Road and the N72 and N73 Mallow Relief Road and I'm sure the uh, motorway as well to Limerick was brought up within that meeting but on those two roads that were listed to be spoken about uh, they have been brought to their attention but whether they will be built or not is another situation he acknowledges that they have spent, as in Eamon Ryan, the Transport Minister acknowledges, they have spent millions on money for roads and allocations of money on national roads has been spent and earmarked, uh, but he hasn't so far committed uh, to the progress and indeed uh, the continuation of uh, projects such as Cork City's Northern Ring Road, which is very badly needed for a very congested road, which in the last number of weeks is seeing a number of accidents. And I don't know uh, why there's been an increase in the last number of weeks, but there's been a lot more in the last... uh, three to four weeks accidents on that stretch of road and also then the Mallow Relief Road which is spoken about for many years and yet has never ever gotten off the ground. Uh, so your views are welcome on that. Well, the number of TDs and senators have, have raised this with Eamon Ryan and brought him to task on this. Uh, I mean, his answer really was, we have spent money on roads and we're earmarking money on roads and we have a certain allocation to be spent on national roads. And this will be also spent on, you know, on safety works and resurfacing and all of that. Uh, but there's no real commitments on new roadways right across Ireland. Is that what we need even from a road safety uh, point of view? Your views are welcome. Uh, you can email Cork Today at c103.ie. A number of emails too from paramedics. We spoke with Kerry on the show yesterday who commutes from Skull to the UK. I have more emails, believe it or not, from more of paramedics who do live in Cork and commute to the UK for work. You thought it was an isolated incident? It ain't. We'll hear from those as well later this morning. Cork today on C103. Farmers and members of the IFA held protests outside the Fianna Fáil thinking at the horse and jockey in Tipperary over the last two days at the lack of action on nitrates derogation. Now, Franti Gorman is an IFA presidential candidate, a farmer himself, and he joins me this morning on this. Good morning to you, Franti. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. Now, you and the IFA want the proposed nitrates derogation limits to be scrapped, while the government feel they did well to have the nitrates at 220 kilograms per hectare compared to some in Europe who were at 170. Uh, that's the position at the moment. I mean, the government uh, conceded uh, last March 12 months to a reduction from 250 to 220 based on water quality results. And what we are asking for, first and foremost, is that 
time would be given to assess those water quality results. They're basing them on a two-year period, and we know a lot longer running period is needed. And there is evidence there to suggest that the measures that have been taken on farm in the meantime are delivering, are delivering dividends. And if, if this isn't reversed, it's going to have a dramatic effect on the land rental market. It, there's going to be huge pressure on land availability. Some farmers may be able to access land and pay for it, but if you're, if you're a, a dairy farmer, particularly in the West Cork area, if you go over to the east of the country, a lot of FMP suppliers and suppliers above in Cavan Monaghan are, are, are small to medium-sized herds. And if you take the effect of banding and the cumulative effect of night, this cut in stocking rate, uh, rates and the nitrates um, on organic nitrogen at farm level, it will have a devastating effect at, at farm, on farm income in those farms. And when we discussed this last week on the show, when the story broke, we were speaking with the Irish Farmers Journal on this. Many farmers texted and agreed that the change needed to happen. They felt our streams and rivers were affected due to farming. But while many welcomed this and many farmers said they'd work with this, they feel it's very unfair in a short period of time. As farmers, you'll be very aware over the harvest 2020 and different schemes over the last 10 to 15 years were told to expand. Now they're told to reduce within a period of three months. Yeah, absolutely, John Paul. And I mean, farmers have always followed uh, best advice. The best farmers generally follow the best advice that would have been given to them over the years, you know, from the Department of Agriculture through through Chagas. And, And this has really just been dumped on us now in the last 18 months in particular. The department took this decision in March 2022 without any consultation with the farm organisations and it became public in April of that year and we've been working behind the scenes with them since to try and get some delivery on this but it's a feature of the department now whether it's on nitrates and this demonstration was also about late payments. We had a cap strategic plan that was uh, uh, finalised in late 2021. It went to the department for or went to Europe, Europe for approval on the basis that we would be paid our money on time. And we now find that ANC payments, BIS payments, are are going to be paid a fortnight to a month later than last year with no end result as to when we'll finally get our payments at the end of the year in terms of eco-scheme. And it's going to impose huge financial hardship on families, not just, not just to pay merchants and contractors and keep your farm going. That money is needed at farm le- at, at household level with kids going back to college to pay uh, accommodation fees, school fees, and, it's, uh, uh, and the realisation that it's not going to arrive will probably not hit with most people till they don't get it next week. It always came on the second day of the Clown Championships. So that was the purpose of our, our, of our, of our demo in, in, in Dublin last week, Harson Jockey this week, and we're moving on Friday to the Fine Gael Tink in, uh, in Limerick. And I, and I would be saying to all farmers, and there was a huge turnout in Bandon on this issue um, earlier on in the year, we need as many people as possible in Limerick Friday to send a huge message to our government that this thing has to be re- reversed and they need to sit down and discuss it with farm organisations. And I presume when you mentioned the uh, late payments there and the delayed farming payments, do you want them to abandon these plans? But is it too late now? Because it will be next week, as you mentioned, they'll be paying you out. Uh, they're hardly going to go ahead and start paying people from next week onwards. So there will be a delay regardless this year. There is, undoubtedly. And this was flagged to us at the charter meeting in May. And at that stage, we put out and we said that this that was unacceptable. And that was part of the demo in in uh, in Dublin last week, and in fairness, 
all farm organisations bar one stood with us outside the outside, outside the door of the Department of Agriculture on this issue. Irrespective, it, 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 they need to pay them payments ASAP. It's not credible to say that they had the IT system in place. They know about this cap reform for probably five years. They've been working on it behind in the background. Uh, they knew the direction of travel and they know for the last 18 months that this money was due in mid-September and mid-October and the fact that they haven't put themselves in a position to pay it is completely unacceptable. You know, and I don't mean to be flippant about this, but they'll pay their wages. And when they get a wage increase, when someone moves into a different job in the department, they get their wages on time. So there's no reason why this shouldn't have been done. And, you know, somebody in the Department of Agriculture should pay a price for this because it's not good enough. And you mentioned that protest last Thursday, wasn't it, in the, in the outside the, the Agri Department, was it in Dublin? Why did you, as the IFA, not go in and meet the Agricultural Minister and decided to protest? Because I know you mentioned one farming organisation did go in and seemingly that person was booed when they were going in as well. But surely was it better not to be inside discussing than outside protesting and getting your point across to the Minister who openly welcomed farming groups in to meet him? Yeah, and that has been the pattern with this minister since he took office. He's always available for consultation. But when you want a decision made or when you, when you want input into a decision that's important to farmers that the Department of Agriculture are going to take, it's talk and talk and talk with no delivery. And I mean, you've got to get... Sometimes, you know, your patience does wear thin and you can't stay going into meetings and talk and talk just for the sake of doing it. And we're at a stage now where, you know, there's we've gone beyond the point of no return on the issue of late payments and it's unacceptable those payments are hugely important to farm families across the country you know even in dairy this year you look at the downturn in, in, in milk prices this year those payments will be welcome on those farms before the end of the year and farmers will be looking for them on time so the time for talking like has finished we need the minister to deliver on this and we need our Taoiseach Leah Varadkar and our Tanish to Michal Martin to get on the pitch because they're standing behind the Minister for Agriculture on this as well. They need to get on the pitch beside him and get this sorted. And did any commitments come out of that meeting from any of the organisations that did meeting over the last few days? Is there anything new? Or are you simply saying it's just a talking shop and no action is happening and what we've outlined is just going to go ahead in the new year regardless? To be fair, in the and Jockey uh, during the week, there was extensive discussions be- between our President Tim Cullinan, the local co- county chairs, and the commodity chairs on this issue, um, there was no, there was no commitment given by the Taoiseach. There was there's no meaningful commitment given by the Taoiseach on this issue, and that's why we need to go out to Limerick on Friday and keep driving home, home the point. Um, they're just not listening. Full stop. And regarding the delayed payments, then we will have another situation from the new year. Land prices. Problems are going to arise there. Many farmers now who have extra herd numbers, they're going to have to purchase extra lands to deal with the situation on the reducing nit- uh, nitrates and the new rules coming in from January. Could this cause a huge situation, though, for the medium-sized farmers, those here in Cork and in other areas who are going to be severely impacted by this and maybe won't have the money, along with the delayed farm payments, to go ahead and purchase extra land? And it could send land prices spiralling as well. Well, land prices have spurred in an unbelievable way this year. Like, you know, um, even up in our country here, uh, up to 600 euro an acre for land. There's no question it'll 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 underpin land prices next year. 
Milk price will have a big impact on it as well. Milk prices have taken a, a dramatic fall since this time last year. And, you know, a worst case scenario would be where farmers are not in a position to pay this money for land because that will show you the money just isn't in the system. And there's no doubt uh, it's going to cause huge pressure. The big issue is as well, there just isn't enough land available for this. And this measure alone would require an extra 29,000 hectares of land to be got by dairy farmers uh, to to, to be able to solve their problem. That's the size, I think, I heard Ty Buckley, our chief economist, say the other day, it's almost the size of County Loud. And that's the size, scale of the problem that we're facing next spring. And with little or no discernible in, incre- improvement in water quality, even by this measure coming in. So the government need to follow the science in this as well. And if they're going to bring in measures that are going to drive the cost of production at farm level, they've got to see, first of all, that if, if they are going to do it, that it's going to deliver a benefit. But farmers can't be expected to carry that cost themselves. No other sector in society has been asked to carry the cost of environmental ambition out of their own pocket. They're getting support all, all, across, the, uh, all across the place to help them meet, meet their environmental ambition, and we are not. And when you mentioned your country, you're in leash, isn't it, Francie? That's right, Jeb. I'm, I'm, I'm a suckler beef and sheep farmer here in Ballinacill in County Leash, just right on the Kilkenny border. You'll be aware, so with everything going on at the moment within from the nitrates changes and the delayed payments, there is a wider implication here with co-ops uh, who have expanded over the years and also the economy of rural communities. There's no question. And I mean, you can see it. I could see it particularly. We we, we holiday extensively in Munster, um, down in Cork and Kerry, and you can see the benefits in rural communities, particularly um, those depending on, on, on dairy, how, you know, well off those communities have have become since the uh, abolition of quotas. And this is going to have a knock-on effect at processor level as well. If you have less throughput going through your plants, there's only one there's only one sector going to pay for that steel at the end of the day, and that's our dairy farmers and our co-op customers that are supplying grain and buying feed off them as well. And very finally, you mentioned you will be heading along so to Limerick uh, to pick at the Fine Gael thinking on Friday. Minister Simon Coveney has been out this morning to say he will welcome farmers and discuss the issues with farmers. Uh, will you welcome to meet him? Of course we, 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 we'll meet him. But, I mean, Minister Coveney also needs to, you know, get away from the issue of just talking and discussing the issues with farmers. He knows the issues. He's from a farming background himself. He's been a minister for agriculture he knows exactly the pressures that are in the system. So if he never met us, it's within his, it's within his remit to go and find solutions to this problem. OK, I have to leave it there. It's something I know we will return to for the moment, Francie. Thanks for joining us this morning on this issue that is ongoing. That is Francie Gorman. He is the IFA presidential candidate, a farmer, as he mentioned there in Leash. Your views are welcome on 0818 103 103 and you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. The Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications has launched a public information and engagement period seeking the views of local South Coast communities to help determine where future offshore wind energy developments may take place. Mark Willis is Assistant Principal in the Offshore and International Energy Division of the Department of the Environment. He joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, John Paul. Thank you very much for having me on. And thanks for joining us, I suppose. First of all, this is a consultation with the public on their views on what could be proposed are offshore wind turbines, which would be located off the Cork coast. And looking at the maps you've outlined to us, this would stretch more or less from Kinsale uh, to Yall. Um, well, 
Uh, that's correct. But I suppose the important thing to highlight is that we have a proposed large area at the moment. And what we're seeking is the views of local communities down here on the south coast as to where they think the best locations would be for um, locating potential future offshore wind developments. So nothing is predetermined in terms of where those projects might be located. We're down here today and and later on in the week to really get the views of the local communities in terms of where they think the best locations would be for those projects. So it could be off the entire coast of Cork, not just uh, certain earmarkings. It could be anywhere. No, we're, we're, we're going to be identifying specific sites, so it won't be encompassing an, a gigantic area. We're seeking to identify a small number of, of areas that would be suitable for development. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to stop other marine activities taking place. We want to be able for offshore wind to coexist with those other marine activities and obviously special areas of conservation and environmental protection. So there's absolutely no predetermination in terms of where those sites would be. We really want to identify in in cooperation with the communities on the south coast where they think that the best locations would be for those projects. And if these projects are going to go ahead, how far off the coast are the proposals for these wind farms or wind turbines? Well, that's what we're down here to discuss. Um, we Again, there's, there's no kind of predetermined idea as to where they might be. So we want to get the views of the communities in terms of, you know, whether they think we should go a certain distance from shore or whether fishermen think there are, there are certain areas that are particularly important um, for fishing. So we can try and go around those, uh, those locations to, to get the, the, the best spot for the communities down here. And offshore wind farms, while everybody is open to wind energy, and it is something people have spoken about before on the programme, one thing that uh, I suppose there's concerns, and we've seen this from other locations across Europe, is if they are visible or not from the land. I mean, that's something you would like to hear from people living, I presume, in coastal areas who may be for this or against looking into the sea and seeing wind turbines off in the distance. Absolutely. So that that's completely correct. So um, as I said, there's no predetermined idea where they might be. People have strong views. Some people, for some people, it's, it's very much a concern as to whether they can see them. Or, you know, um, and, and for others, it, it's less of a concern. And for some people, they don't necessarily mind seeing projects on a very clear day over the, at the end of the horizon, but they don't necessarily want to feel that the, the, the turbines are on top of them. And that's a completely legitimate um, view. And we're down here to discuss that today. While you did touch on the marine aspect, I know before we have uh, spoken to fishermen who are unhappy in some locations in Ireland where proposals have been spoken about before and previously, and indeed elsewhere in Europe, uh, that they feel it does impact on marine life. So this is why if there's people listening from the fishing community, you'd rather them come in now and discuss the situation rather than later if a proposal goes to planning stages that they can have their voice heard now if they feel if you pick a certain spot off the Cork coast and they say, no, this is a problem area for a certain type of fishing. Exactly, and we're seeking to avoid that where we can, that kind of, that, that potential conflict. So the engagement with the fishing communities is a particularly important one, um, I'd like to highlight, and we'd be very keen, we've already been speaking to fishermen along the Waterford coast last week, and we're here in Cork, uh, we're in the Solia Community and Sports Centre today, from half past 11 to one thirty, and very keen, um, if anyone has the time, if they could come in and drop drop into us and speak to uh, speak to us here today to voice their concerns um, 
And then likewise, you know, any uh, if people don't have time to come in today, we're, we're in Ahada, we're in the Ahada uh, and Community Centre tomorrow at the same time. So please, um, any of your listeners, if they have time, we, we'd, really, we'd really like them to come in uh, and speak to us. And then again, if, if that's not possible, then there, there is the possibility to make a written submission online. And again, strongly encourage anyone um, who has the time to make a submission, please. And outside of Marine, there are other facilities that do use the sea. We've a lot of new sporting facilities, a lot of boating clubs uh, that go far out uh, to sea at various times for, for different things. You'd, inquire, you'd want them, I suppose, as well to get in contact with you. Uh, but outside of that, we know of a lot of people who realise Ireland has commitments before 2050 regarding renewable energy. So while you're holding these public consultations and we realise there's an energy crisis across Europe because what has happened over the last while with the war in Europe, Ukraine, but also before any war happened, we realised the energy crisis was coming down the line. Uh, you'd rather people get involved now than later. You'd rather people meet you in Ahada or indeed Kinsale because is, is it that you'd want to get away from the what we've seen in the past with wind turbines on mountains where there's issues and it happens at the very final stages of planning? Is, is that the reason for this open consultation now and getting it out there in the open? Yes, yeah, so we'd like exactly to start that kind of that, that community engagement, that public engagement really as early as possible. So yes, this, this is a really important um, stage now where we, we, so it, which will allow us to really take on the views of local communities. Important to highlight, however, that there will be further future opportunities also for, for public engagement later on when we have narrowed down. So we'll come back with a proposal in several months' time to reflect the outcome of the consultation we're having at the moment and, and there will be an opportunity for more engagement in the future, but important to highlight that this is an entirely new approach the government is taking in terms of locating offshore wind projects. So where in the past, onshore but also offshore, individual proposed developers have been able to maybe try to select their own sites and where, in, in terms of where, where the turbines will be installed. This is a new approach where government is taking the leading role in cooperation with the local communities to really try and get that local, that all-important community buy-in to make sure those projects are in the right place and to ensure that communities really have um, an opportunity to have a strong influence there. Have you held these meetings elsewhere in the country or is the the ones in Cork the first type? So we, we had three very well-attended events last week um, in Waterford. They were very well-attended. Um, we had a, a very, very good discussion with um, fishermen um, in Dunmore East last Tuesday, and then we were in Tremor um, the following day, and again, very, very well attended, and then in Rin the following day. So we've, we've gone from Waterford last week, we're in, we're in Cork um, today and tomorrow in County Cork, and then we'll have two further events again next week, um, which I'd like to highlight. So on the, on the 19th, we have an event um, from 11 to 1 in the Walter Raleigh Hotel in Yall, and then the following day on the 20th, um, again, the same time, 11 to 1 o'clock um, in the Tower Hotel in Waterford. So the engagement is ongoing and, and it will keep going. And into the future, when we get it up and running and, and these are built and they will be built at some stage in the future, Ireland can benefit then from wind energy at sea. Given our location and where we are, we could end up selling energy to Europe down the line. Well, that, that, that's definitely a long term possibility. But the, at the moment, what we're focused on is, I suppose, addressing the current challenges. So we have that, that, that energy crisis that you mentioned earlier. Everyone will have seen on their household electricity bills and their, their business bills. 
the last 18 months, you know, we've been in a period of incredibly high energy prices. They're coming down a bit now, thankfully, but they're still high. And then we have the climate issue as well. And, you know, we, we know to address climate change, we need to decarbonize it. And what that means to address those two crises is bringing on more and more um, indigenous Irish um, renewable energy. So that will provide affordable energy and it will provide that all-important energy security, that reliability. And offshore wind, uh, you know, you mentioned um, our resource. So we have an incredible resource there. It's essentially infinite. And so really offshore wind will have a key role to play in in decarbonizing um, Ireland's energy system first. So that's out to 2030 and and then beyond. And then there will be opportunities later on uh, to potentially develop that offshore resource to sell to the rest of Europe. But we're focused first and foremost initially on on addressing the domestic challenges that we have. But there will be big benefits there as well beyond just addressing those 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 energy crises. So we the, you know we know from the experience in other European countries. I'm, I'm thinking of Denmark in particular, but also increasingly northeast England and the east coast of Scotland. The incredible employment um, and job opportunities that are associated with developing um, an indigenous um, offshore wind industry. So if people want to give their views and indeed uh, have a chat and look to see what indeed is going to happen in the future off our Cork coast, where again, just outline again, where you're going to be today and this week. So we're in the Solia Community and Sports Centre today in Kinsale. We're there from 1.30 to 3.30 and absolutely, you know, no one needs to make an appointment before. There were, the doors open, so encourage everyone to drop in. And then tomorrow we're in the ADA and Community Centre from the same time, 1.30 to 3.30. And then we'll have further workshops next week in the Walter Raleigh Hotel in Yall on the 19th and then in the Tower Hotel in Waterford the following day on the 20th. Those, those two events next week, they do require pre-registration. So again, encourage anyone who has the time to, to please register and come in and speak to us then. But for today and tomorrow, it can sail today, ahead of tomorrow, you can just turn up. Absolutely. It's drop in, the door's open. Well, we'd encourage people uh, so to do that and have your say on the future of wind farms off the core coastline for the moment. Mark, thank you for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to you today and we look forward to coming back in October, November and, and hopefully speaking to you again. Yeah, and we'll see the, the views already that you have received from the public, hopefully, uh, of your meetings this week and next week. Thank you for joining us. Mark Willis there. He's an assistant principal in the Offshore and International Energy Division within the Department of the Environment. And as you said, go along and have your view heard uh, and whatever you make of uh, climate regarding what we can do uh, with wind turbines off our coast. Some people over the years have said, yes, it's a great idea, but then we have heard from those who work at sea and indeed the fishing industry who have major concerns and those who live by the coast who do want to be looking out at wind turbines. So uh, that's why I suppose the government want those people to go along and speak to them uh, before anything progresses. Your uh, views are welcome though on wind energy. If you're for it or not or if you feel it is good but they need to have their correct locations on site off our coastline. 0818103103 lines open. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. It's John Paul McNamara until one o'clock in for Patricia who returns from our holidays next Monday. And Bernie is taking your comments on 0818 103 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A number of people have been on to us over the last number of days, uh, especially yesterday and the day before. And again this morning over the school transport issue, we heard back from Bus Air and people are annoyed because they're driving behind the school bus 
bus to their nearest school with empty seats on the bus. And they just can't understand why this is happening, Bus e r o n are saying that there could be a number of reasons for this. It could be somebody sick from school or not going to a certain school after activity. And they give a number of reasons for this. They say if people didn't have a ticket, they're not using it. They should go to their local bus office and hand back the ticket. They can then be reallocated. Uh, But on helping people, there was no major uh, help coming on offering any help uh, from Bus Aaron. Uh, We are still in contact with them on this issue. A huge issue in various parts of Cork. The majority of calls we got initially were the Rath, Duff and Blarney areas that has seemed to be sorted then we got calls from Glenville and Watergrass Hill and a number of calls yesterday and the day before from the Bandon area for those who are attending various schools in Bandon so there is still issues with school transport and indeed secondary school as well then uh, who are having issues in the wider Kinsale area and Banahasic area they continue Maggie on text says isn't it just an utter disgrace the poor uh, children trying to get to school there's should be no questions asked. A ticket or no ticket, our duty as adults is responsibility and to help all kids to get to their place of education. I am shocked from what I am hearing over the last number of days. We seem to have problems with hospital queues, very sick people on waiting lists, not enough Gardaí. The list goes on and on. We can't seem to operate anything without big problems and indeed then no answers. There seems to be no kind of organ Organization in this country, says Maggie. I think people would agree with Maggie on that. Elner is in Glenville. Uh, she says, in relation to the empty seats on the school bus, the bus, uh, this is one example she gives, uh, may have multiple stops. and may not be allocating tickets to the students that are furthest away from the school as they are on concessionary tickets. The people closest to the school getting full eligibility tickets and then the free bus last year and reducing the cost to €125 Euro, Euros this year when the initial cost, of course, was €625 per family. Adding all those reasons up, uh, it just shows that you really need the service to pay for it. Not just people using the service willy-nilly. When people are furthest away, they are desperate with no public service to fall back on. Uh, Eleanor in Glenville making the point regarding the empty seats on school buses. Mary is in Blarney. Mary says she walked four miles to Blarney School and four miles back at five years of age and did that up to the age of 14. She's asking why is there so much talk around school buses? Well, school buses I suppose they've always been there and they can be bringing people from you know a longer distance than four miles But I know the point you're making uh, many years ago and still people do walk to school a mile or two. People, it's not that no one walks to school anymore. You, you would see uh, people maybe in more towns, villages and urban areas walking to school. But you do need school transport in, in many areas where there is a longer journey uh, to the school. Uh, school transport isn't a new thing. It's been there for many, many years in this country. Uh, but the problem is people cannot uh, access school transport and that is the reason. And for walking to school, I think many parents will say, while, as I mentioned, many do walk to school, still today, it's a different Ireland we're in. And would you be happy to leave a five-year-old now walk four or five miles in a rural area to a school, uh, given the traffic build-up on our roads, no matter where you're living? But also, you know, it's a lot different today. Uh, I'm not too sure when you were going to school, Mary, but things are a bit different out on the roads uh, 
but again, people still walk. But I, I can I know the point you're making. But are we in a very different place for letting a five year old? I don't know what any parent uh, today let their young child at that age walk to school. You may do so in you know built up areas, uh, and and you do see young children walking on their own in many areas which are built up in villages and towns. But rural, I, I don't know. I think that be uh, parents will be slow uh, to do that in today's day. Uh, Tommy is abandoned on the issue of speed we mentioned earlier on on our roads, and it's something that has been running, of course. It's been in the headlines for the last two to three weeks at this stage. Uh, Tommy says it's not speed. He feels the issue of speed has been spoken about too much. Tommy says a lot of this is down to drugs and alcohol. Those driving uh, drunk and indeed those driving with drugs in their system, they are causing most of the traffic deaths feels. Tommy, and that needs to be looked at and tackled. And I suppose, again, that goes back to enforcement. And then we spoke to the IFA uh, there earlier, just after 10 o'clock. This was in relation to their protests, which are going to continue again this week. They were outside the Fianna Fáil thinking. Now they're going to be outside the Fianna Gael thinking happening in Limerick. And they want more action done on, first of all, the change is coming down the road for nitrates, which, again, they feel, you know, it's going to be a short turnaround period of three months and farmers won't be able to achieve anything by the way of changing uh, their nitrates. And then outside of all of that, there is the late farm payments, which is going to affect farmers heading into the winter. Uh, somebody here on text says farmers think they are above the law and that they have, this person feels that they have the country poisoned with Horrible slurry, especially pig slurry. A very unhappy listener in the West Cork area on text. While Michael says if the IFA had any bottle, they would be organising a march with people, tractors, vans, you name it. From Bantry to the Department of Agriculture and across all the country into Kildare Street and show the strength of the farmers. There is strength in numbers, says Michael. Look at what the late Richard Deasy uh, did back in the 1960s. Today's IFA leadership wouldn't one of his boots, says Michael. Uh, a lot of them are now gone, but they walked every step of the way to Dublin. Uh, Michael feels this, what he says, post the pillar demonstrations, uh, they're not going to cover it. It's basically like a, a cat scratching to cover its nuisance. Uh, Michael says it won't work, that they need a big, huge action and a big major protest in Dublin uh, for the politicians to take note. That's Michael's view. Uh, another, this is a different Michael. Mike, uh, he says, farmers blew it last week when one organisation broke the picket lines so much for a farmers party at our next general election, says Mike. While Frank says, what is all the fuss about nitrates? It only affects about 7,000 farmers. What about the other 125,000 farmers up and down the country who obey the lower limit and farm sustainably? What is this nitrate derogation doing for our green image abroad, asks Frank. While another texter says, we always had climate laws, but we had the Irish law, which was a backdoor favouring big farms partnerships, totally discriminating against standalone family farmers with young families, feels that texter. Uh, while John feels farmers are at it again, uh, he feels they're whinging, they get all the grants. He says, isn't it good for them to take two days off to go protesting, feels John and Tex. While Kevin, who was in Yall, says another famine wouldn't be long making people appreciate where their food comes from, says Kevin on WhatsApp in Yule. And Charlie is saying, is it time the farmers do like the French farmers? Kind of agreeing with Michael, but he feels they should go along now and block up the Fina Gale thinking at the Limerick venue. And he goes as far as to say, maybe bring a tank for the slurry. 
would that make the government take action and sort out their payments in time? I presume you're not going to ask them to spread the slurry or is it just have the slurry there and threaten them? I'm not too sure <laughs> what would happen with the full tank of slurry. Uh, but he feels that's what they need to do, act like the French farmers and then maybe something will be done. Uh, we just speak about wind energy and this is to do with the proposals that are coming down the line by way of consultations. A number of meetings are being held from the Department of the Environment. They're looking basically to speak to local communities around the Cork coast on where they think wind turbines are best placed off our coastline and looking at proposals that they may have. Uh, nothing is determined, but still they're looking uh, to see where will be the best location for wind turbines off our core coast rather than maybe uh, a private company going along and doing it. It seems to be the government taking the lead or the department anyhow taking the lead on this one for offshore energy. Tracy is saying... Uh, and this is going back to private companies, I suppose, that maybe over the years would have done this. She said it's good the government is engaging with the communities first because Tracy is making the point before wind turbines uh, just started to appear. And local people only found out a number of months in advance. This is a good way to stamp out those issues rather than communities then coming together, uh, erecting huge posters, getting huge campaigns underway to prevent wind turbines only because they were never consulted, says Tracy. Sean in Granada feels Ireland has great potential as an energy provider with a location in the Atlantic for wind energy. And while Michael O'Sullivan is in Castletown Bear, he has a different view. He says it's the height of insanity, putting wind farms off the southwest coast, they will be ideal locations for sabotage, especially in troublesome times within the world. There are plenty mountainous areas available for such farms, offshore islands uh, that are not inhabited, etc, etc, uh, says Michael in Castletown Bear on WhatsApp to 0862103103. Your views are welcome. A lot more emails uh, into us as well. We'll get through those and indeed uh, more uh, text in on various issues that are all to come. Keep your gardening questions. It's welcoming for Peter Doddall, he joins us after 12.30. You can call Bernie with those on 0818-103-103. If you want to send a picture uh, to us for a picture of something in your garden, you can do that as well on WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. On the way, though, we will be discussing adult literacy. C103 Jobs. Barry Brothers Builders Providers in Skibbereen, they have a vacancy for a full-time person with some experience in a customer-facing role and indeed within the construction sector. You can send your CV to barrybrothers at gmail.com or indeed call them on 028-21610. Ashgrove Renewables in Mallow have a vacancy for a technical support administrator. Email hr at ashgrove.eu and clear auto services in Middleton are seeking car and HGV truck mechanics. You can email them clearautoservices at gmail.com or call 086-826-5599. You'll find these jobs and more now online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. Court today on C103. 40,000 adults in Ireland are currently in the process of improving their literacy skills and awareness is underway to highlight those that do struggle with basic reading, writing, maths and digital skills. Nuala Glanton from Adult Literacy for Life joins me on this. Good morning to you, Nuala. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. One in six adults struggle with reading while a quarter lack numeracy skills. But more than never, Nuala, there's more help out there now than there was. And I think more people are opening up and speaking about this as well. 
Absolutely, yeah. So um, we have a new Adult Literacy for Life strategy, which Minister Simon Harris launched in 2021. Um, and, and that... Um, strategy has a vision um, where every adult in Ireland has the literacy, numeracy and digital skills to fully engage in society and realise their potential. So we pride ourselves on being, you know, an advanced um, society with a very good education system. So it's a surprise to most people that that 18% of Irish adults have poor reading and writing skills. And many will be slow still, though, to come forward and approach someone and admit they have uh, an issue with reading or indeed with writing or with the numbers. Are people, as we said, getting better at coming forward? But are, are what are you seeing at the moment? Because we still get calls here to the radio station from people who tell us that uh, they have a problem. They never could uh, read. Uh, they've yes. got a wrong life. But their family, their own family, don't even know about this. So how is it getting something that people are becoming more open about it? Or are we still in stuck in that stigma where no one is willing to talk? Um, there is there is a stigma associated and often people are embarrassed and don't want to, to say that they have poor literacy or numeracy skills. Um, but people are, are getting a little bit more confident about it now and are coming forward more. There are so many opportunities available in Cork ETB um, and, and the local ETB. So the literacy service is just one of the services that Cork ETB offers. Um, and we have centres in every town in Cork and throughout Cork City um, where people can come forward. And when they do come forward and the Cork ETB, that's the Cork Education and Training Board, if they go to their local office and as you said, they're in nearly every town and village right across Cork and people can check that out in their local area, uh, what can they expect? Because they may not go in openly and tell you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That they have a problem with uh, writing or with numbers. Uh, what's the best way to approach this? So it's very important to emphasise this is not like school. Um, mm. Often our students would have had a negative experience in school and would be nervous coming back. So our, our adult education and our Cork College of Fet centres are, are not like schools. They're learner-centred and everybody's respected as an adult. Um, so adult literacy tuition is uh, provided in small groups or individual support and, and we start where the learner is at. So if you want help, for example, in helping your child with their homework, that's what we'll focus on in the class. Um, and often one way for people to come forward is to do a basic computer class. So people might be embarrassed to say I have difficulties with reading and writing, but um, you know, everybody wants to improve their IT skills and so much is done online now at the moment. It's a way for people to come forward and to come into the centre. And once they're in the centre, then we can provide additional literacy and numeracy support. Digital skills, it's a huge one, Nuala, at the moment. You'll be aware, as you mentioned, everything is online, but we get, again, a lot of calls here from people who just simply can't access online and they tell us they don't know how to use a computer. Would you encourage people like that to go along to the centres and learn on how to pick up on digital, learn how to open a Microsoft Word document and indeed navigate the internet? Absolutely. We have um, computer classes at every level. So for complete beginners, for somebody who's never used a computer before, up to the more advanced classes, we have um, classes in, in how to use a smartphone. 
um, and a lot of older adults, um, particularly um, following COVID, they realised the importance of that for communicating with family who mightn't be living near them. Um, so we provide classes on how to use an iPad, a smartphone, um, basic computer classes. And again, they're small groups and they're very supportive. Um, so I'd encourage anybody um, who, who wants to improve their digital literacy or numeracy skills to come forward. Uh, we're aware of literacy really touches every aspect of our lives and John has been in touch. Uh, he has, uh, in previous years, gone along to what was maybe the before the, the, the new type of system that was introduced in 2021. But he went along and he said only for this, he would not have continued on with the way he is now in life. Uh, before, he would shy away from filling out forms or indeed reading simple instructions. And one point John is making when he's out at a restaurant or was out in previous years at a restaurant with friends, he would order the same food because he wasn't sure and could not make out all of the menu. Uh, so he said he thanks the, the work that you and others do. Uh, you have improved his life. But that's just a typical example there, John, um, on text to us on 0862103103. That's a typical example. You love someone who found themselves in a situation like this. And he makes a good point. I never actually would have thought, you think about the instructions, but a menu in a restaurant's uh, yeah. Is a good example there. You just ordered the same food because John openly admits he wasn't sure what was written down in front of him on the menu. Absolutely, absolutely. It affects every aspect of someone's life, from their family life, not being able to read a bedtime story, to getting a job and, and retaining a job. Um, it affects people's health because they can't keep up with medical appointments and the communication there. It, it, it prevents them learning new skills, uh, managing finances and you know, just managing a household budget or paying bills online. Um, so it affects every aspect of people's lives. It's great to hear the feedback from John. We, we really um, promote listening to the learner's voice in Cork ETB and um, the, the learner's voice is very important. I, I just want to say it, it is huge, hugely rewarding work to be involved in. Um, and uh, one of the things we will be doing in the North Cork area in particular is, is recruiting some volunteers to help us with adult literacy. So we'll be starting that in October if anybody is interested in volunteering. And if someone is interested in volunteering, what would their role be then? Would it be something similar like John, who has been there and will understand someone who is in a situation he was in a number of years ago? Absolutely, yes. So um, sometimes people are very nervous joining a class initially until they build up a little bit of confidence. So maybe some one-to-one work with a volunteer um, would would be good at the beginning or um, a volunteer could help in a class if somebody needed um, a, a little bit of extra support. And because, again, we get so many calls here from people who were slow to go, what would you say to those who are openly, will tell a close friend but not go to the classes? I know you say they're not like school, but how do you encourage people like that to go in and realise they won't be treated differently, they won't be treated in a certain manner that they might have been, you know, a number of years ago or, as you say, in the school system uh, back maybe in the 70s, 80s and 90s? I, I would encourage them to just pick up the phone and have a conversation. Um, so there, there is a national free phone number um, that's one eight hundred twenty twenty sixty five. If anybody wants to call for more information, um, Nala run an online service. Um, if people wanted to do that and didn't want to come into a centre, but very often we find that when people come into a centre, the support they get from other students who are in the same boat as them really encourages them. Um, uh, so if, if people pick up their phone to their local ETB centre 
or to the, the national number uh, and talk it through with somebody before they come in. Um, I think that would help to break down the barriers. Yeah, and that's the big thing you were trying to do here is uh, bridge the literacy gap, I suppose, and take away those barriers so everybody can drive up their potential in their life now and indeed into the future. Yes, yes. And um, people often assume people with literacy difficulties are, are unemployed, but quite a few number of, uh, quite a lot of our students are, are employed. So, And very often they're underemployed, like they'd be capable of doing um, uh work at a higher level, but their literacy skills are holding them back. So for people who are in employment, there are supports available. There's a skills for work program, um, which employers can arrange um, for them. And there's a huge number of opportunities available through the skills to advance training program for people who are in employment to upskill. And again, you can go to any of the uh, Cork Education Training Boards and they are nearly at every location in various towns and villages across Cork. For the moment, Nuala, thanks for joining us this morning on that and best of luck with your work over the next few months on this. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take care. That is Nuala Glanton there who was joining us from Adult Literacy for Life, a new campaign which is underway. You can call them on Nala on 1-800-2020-65 or if you want to check a website, you can do that too, adultliteracyforlife.ie and best of luck to the gang there who were involved in that. Uh, More comments coming in, by the way, of energy and energy prices and what happened yesterday with um, Taoiseach Leif Varadkar who did meet with a number of of energy companies. The big four is who he was meeting yesterday. Uh, I'm not sure if much came out of the meeting, to be honest. I mean, he did tell companies that they must go further in future billing cycles. And again, all the bills we get from energy uh, companies is down to wholesale prices. And that goes on if there's any reductions, which we are being told about there is at the moment. You know, they could rise again, uh, subject to wholesale prices. Uh, but Antisha came out after that meeting yesterday. He again reiterated something he did say before the meeting, that he was concerned about what companies are doing to help the most vulnerable customers. And indeed, he is still awaiting commitments from them that they will continue to help those over the winter period. And I know the government are looking at uh, bringing in those energy credits again for this year which they did last year but still they want the companies to go further yeah, they've also spoken to the utilities regulator on this and yesterday after the meeting government again came out and said they have the windfall tax which is an additional tax on super normal profits of energy companies and they will provide several hundred million euros which this will be helping families and businesses with energy bills uh, but they are looking at this still because they're going to continue to put on big pressures on companies to reduce prices. That's more or less what came out of the meeting yesterday uh, with the energy companies and indeed on Taoiseach Lear Varadkar and others and I know they will meet again over the next few months but nothing really new has come out. They just basically are keeping the pressure on them. Your viewers are welcome to that as well. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Court today on C103. People are being urged to hold a coffee morning for Marymount Hospice, which of course now it's in its 31st year this fundraiser is and they create much needed funds for the hospice network right across the country. Enid Conway is fundraising and marketing manager with Marymount and joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Enid. Good morning, everything. I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I suppose this is the biggest fundraiser for Marymount and indeed the entire hospice network because no one unfortunately is untouched by the work that goes on within Marymount. 
absolutely not. Mary Mount has touched countless families in Cork and further afield. And the national uh, campaign, Coffee Morning, um, is the biggest campaign of the year. So it's in its 31st year. It was raised 43.2 million so far over the last like 31 years. It's amazing, you know. But 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 having said that, like all all money raised locally stays locally. So if you raise money for Marymount, it goes directly to Marymount, and it it helps us here so much. It helps us to maintain the exceptional standard of care um, that we provide here. You know, and it makes such a difference to people. And anybody who has been within Marymount, I know we have done shows over the years uh, highlighting the work that goes on there from the hospice. You can see how the money raised and fundraised has enabled the service over the years and enhanced the service that you provide. Absolutely. Like it's enabled Marymount to do things like hire more specially trained palliative nurses to visit people in their homes or administer high quality care in the inpatient units here. Um, refurbished facilities as well as buying crucial equipment that we need so like it's a very special place and this fundraiser has absolutely enhanced that definitely and the nurses you mentioned there they're very important for those who may be unfortunately not able or not well enough to travel uh, to mm-hmm. Curraghy and to Marymount they will go out to the home they will be there at various times of the night or indeed day and provide assistance to the family but it's with this type of fundraising that those services are provided unfortunately you, you even though the government or whoever may have some input, the majority of it does come from fundraising. Absolutely. Like, it's definitely like a community coming together to to support what we do here. And uh, it's all about just helping patients to to live as fully as they can with with, with dignity and respect at the most precious moments of their life. Like, but it it is so inspiring to see kind of the people of Cork coming together to help that happen, you know? Um, Yeah. And Marymount has changed over the years. Now the full official title is Marymount University Hospital and Hospice. And we are aware by people who were just struck by the level of care they receive within uh, the organisation because some will go in for short-term care. And they often tell us when they come out then, they feel like they have a new lease of life when they come out. Yeah, absolutely. Like people come in for respite care and you know the pressure it takes off the families. And you can see families' shoulders relax when they know that their loved one is going into somewhere where they're going to receive just exceptional care. Like, you know, I say it to everyone as well, like the nurses here are just on the next level. They just have a capacity for for empathy and for uh, being able to anticipate people's needs on such an individual level that the care is just second to none. You know, it's, it's such a saving grace for people. And over the years, and you'll be very aware of this yourself, families have uh, come to us afterwards and they have remembered the care they got after a loved one passed away. Uh, they remember themselves at the time, how they were comforted and looked after. And I suppose at, it's a very vulnerable time for someone when they know their loved one is going to pass away, but they never forget the care that they received from the various nurses and those around them who unfortunately you know, witness this most days within the hospice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're, they're so adept for caring of people at this stage of their life, you know, um, they they really are in a league of their own life. But, but, but absolutely, uh, we, we do get incredible. Um, it's great to hear that people that feel so supported by Marymount. Like it's just it's, it's without a question that somewhere that just provides exceptional support and care to people when it matters kind of the most, you know, the last, it's the kind of most precious moments of your of your life, really, you know, but um yeah, so the, the fundraisers like this absolutely help keep keep that in place. 
Mm, true. It must be tough for the staff there as well, even though they're there daily on a daily basis, just to, you know, to watch families go through this. I know I, I, I'm friends with a lot of nurses and doctors that work in the hospitals. And if they do lose a patient, no matter how many times this has happened to them over 15 or 20 years, they still come home with that effect. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the fact that they, that they take it into their heart so much is, the, is kind of what makes it so special here as well. Like, you know, uh, but but we, you know, we're, we're all we're, we're so supportive to each other here now. And, and I think just kind of knowing that, um, that the best plan is in place, in, in place for each patient uh, kind of makes it makes this uh, such a help when you're when you're helping and when you're caring. You know what I mean? Mm, true. But, no, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that right. Uh, so for all of this to continue, for the local hospices right across the country to hire more of those nurses we spoke of there and indeed to provide that high quality care within the inpatient units and refurbished facilities and everything else that goes with the work of a hospice and indeed a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Coffee Morning is back again in September. It's uh, run with Bewley's and it's going ahead on the 21st of September. That is a Thursday. So if people want to gather their family, their friends, neighbours or indeed if companies are listening within the workplace you could enjoy a cup at some stage during your workplace and all be supportive of uh, here in Cork anyhow Marymount and you'll be you'll be encouraging people to do that absolutely definitely so so coffee morning is the 21st of September but you can pick any date any date is fine. oh can you um, all right. yeah absolutely and it doesn't need to be a morning either you can have it in the evening and we have tea for the tea drinkers <laughs> yeah. so Beauties have sent us, like, you know, don't be shy now when you're ordering your tea and coffee because we have lots of it, uh, you know, sponsored by Beauties, completely free of charge for us to send out to these remarkable hosts. So don't be shy now and, and order your tea and your coffee for the morning, for the evening, for your kitchen, for your school, um, for your, your, you know, your lobby and where you work, for your garden, anything like that. And then, um, yeah, just get a good gang together for a, a, a nice um, hot beverage and a few chats. And Jesus, it's brilliant. Sorry, excuse me, it's brilliant, yeah. And if it's people... W- you coming together, there's a great buzz around the place seeing all the hosts come together now, I must say. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice. You are looking forward to it. The, the buzz yeah. is huge in those days to, to, to drive yeah. up the funds. But uh, if people are mm-hmm. holding their coffee mornings, you mentioned there they can get those packs. How do they get, get those or who do they contact? So you can fill out a form online or if you don't use the internet or anything like that, feel free to give us a ring. So you can do it over the phone or online. Online at Marymount on the Marymount website, marymount.ie or uh, over the phone on 021-486-9100. And then all we need is your name and your contact details and we'll make the pack here for you. So we'll give you posters, tea, coffee, ground coffee, instant coffee, anything that you like. Um, to help you host your own coffee morning. And this is how you can help, you know. Everything that we're saying about Marymount and how incredible it is, this is how you can help, you know. So the, the coffee and the tea and everything goes into a pack, gets sent out, and then it's up to you then to, to host the coffee morning and bring the people. Absolutely, absolutely. Big or small. And it's, that's what it's all about as well, you know. The yeah. community together and the kind of the atmosphere that you create on the day and every little helps so much. Like, And we're just really grateful for anyone willing to help. True. Well, the very best of luck with it. I know there's always a huge success and I know a lot of people do organise it and it's great that you provide the, the coffee and teas again this year with thanks to Beauty. So the best of luck, Enid, and enjoy the fundraisers. Thanks. And again, uh, well done to all the work you do there in Marymount. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Love Take care.
Take care now. Enid Conway there. She is the fundraising and marketing manager with Marymount. And uh, so much going on on that day. But if you want more information, marymount.ie. And they'll even send you out the coffee and the tea for your coffee morning or afternoon or evening. A lot of reaction to our conversation earlier with the Department of Environment. This is on the public consultations they are holding regarding where wind turbines and wind farms should be located off the Cork coast. They're holding a number of information evenings and going on the reaction we got a lot of Listeners are saying it's good that this is happening from the department this time because many felt, including Tracy earlier, that when they were erecting those wind turbines on mountainous areas before, it was usually a private company was doing it and the the communities felt they were told too late for any kind of public consultation. There was always problems then with protests and people against the wind turbines because they felt they weren't given enough information. Well, the information now is coming this time from the department who want to meet communities and they want to know where the best place for First of all, for the location of the turbines, but then if they would impact on the local community from a marine point of view and indeed a visibility aspect. If you're sitting down uh, on a beach, do you want to be looking at turbines out in the distance or if you're living in another coast, do you want to see them? Uh, so for today and tomorrow, first of all, today they are looking to meet the public in the Kinsale Community and Sports Centre. That's in Kappa in Kinsale. They'll be there this afternoon from 1.30 until 3.30. And then tomorrow they'll be in the Ahada and District Community Centre in Curra in Upper Ahada and they'll be there as well same time tomorrow in Ahada from 1.30 to 3.30 and again anybody who has concerns uh, regarding our views on wind turbines off the Cork coast uh, you're asked to go along to those meetings uh, and indeed show your views and talk about your views so that they can uh, get an idea of what the public are thinking in and around those areas and something else that we always get calls on usually for Peter who will be along with us uh, later on in the show uh, but this is to do with ants and if we have warm weather, always we see the ants coming to our back doors usually or through our windows or wherever they come in and they can be all over a kitchen or indeed all over the outside of your house. Well, the world's most invasive species has been officially spotted in Europe for the first time. It's a new study that is underway and the red fire ant. Now, these are the ants. If you ever watch those nature programmes, they usually show those ones uh, more than the usual ants we're used to seeing here in Ireland. It's those type of ants and they're native to South America and they spread uh, at an alarming rate seemingly and that's because they have earned or why they have become known, I suppose, as the world's most invasive animal species. Uh, it, this is coming from scientists and Spain that were studying this. Uh, first of all, the species themselves, this type of ant, it's known for its painful sting. So they sting you. And soon they're worried that these ants could spread across Europe. And although they are uh, from South America, they've travelled across the globe and they're establishing themselves in many parts of the globe. They seem to travel, though, in wind streams. So they, they fly into a certain stream of wind and then they travel further and further uh, to a local area and a local level. Uh, the worrying thing is that they've been established in Europe and spotted in Italy and they're now worried that they will continue uh, to thrive from Italy to other areas of Europe. So while you're worried and we were usually during summer months that we see a huge infestation of ants uh, depending where you are. The red fire ants now seen for the first time in Europe. Uh, hopefully they won't be on the way here but if they are at least we'll have some uh, awareness of them. Anyhow, your lines are open. Your gardening questions are welcome for Peter. He'll join us after 12.30 
You can call Bernie with your gardening question on 0818-103-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And a reminder that Premier League Live, it is back on C103.ie with Trevor Welch this Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. And we'll bring you live coverage of Wolves taking on Liverpool at 12.30, Manchester United taking on Brighton at 3, and Newcastle United will take on Brentford at 5.30. The Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You can listen Saturday on the C103 app or go to c103.ie. First JP until one with Cork today. Your calls are welcome. Bernie takes those on 0818 103 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Gardening questions are welcome because Peter Doddall, the irishgardener.com will join us after 12.30 answering all your gardening questions. But a lot of calls and comments in on the various issues we have been discussing this morning. First of all, to do with school trends. Transport. And I think a lot of people, including Mary, is summing it up. Uh, the problem started with school buses when everyone got a bus for free, Mary Fields. Mary used to pay €350 Euros for a secondary school uh, for a few years. Uh, and this then was made free. So everybody took the freebie and therefore no seats for the people that always availed of the bus, says Mary. While Neve agreeing with Mary on this, saying there used to always be problems, but more so once they made the service more widely available and free. Uh, those of us who always have no choice but to use the public transport school system, uh, well now we can't avail of it. It also makes no sense to have parents driving behind the school bus uh, going to a school uh, when they can't avail of the service but yet still can see empty seats on the bus no matter what bus errands say about people being absent for a day or two. People cannot be absent for over two weeks since school has returned. That's a very good point. Thank you Neve on WhatsApp to 0862103103 on the issue of farmers who will continue to protest this Friday outside the Fine Gael thinking that is happening in Limerick. Mary is in Mallow. Mary used to be a farmer and she feels that everybody will be living on chemicals if we don't treat the farming community better. What can we expect into the future? Mary though is making the point that when she's looking at the leader's uh, within government, she feels the leaders are townies, she says. Uh, they know nothing about trying to live from farming or indeed within farming communities. Uh, that's Mary's view in Mallow. Uh, even though Charlie McConnellogue, the agricultural minister, is he not involved in farming himself? I'll have to check that out. Uh, and some of the more rural TDs you would hope would be familiar and be aware of what goes on in a farming community. Anyhow, Mary, thank you for your call in Mallow uh, to Bernie on 0818-103-103. And when we did speak regarding the uh, consultations that are taking place, those uh, public meetings whereby the Department of the Environment want to hear from locals where they are looking at locations uh, for the future of wind turbines and wind farms off the Cork Coast, uh, Thomas and Bantry. And he's asking, have they ever considered the deep water bay in Bantry for constructing the turbines before they take them out to sea? Uh, this is a jetty and a, indeed a disused quarry, which would be ideal. Uh, he says this should be looked at, says Tom in Bantry. Well, I suppose that's why the public consultations are going ahead, so they can get the views of the public and those living in the areas where they've 
feel is the best location, but also to hear concerns from various communities, such as the marine uh, community uh, by way of fishing, uh, fishermen and women who will be out at sea. And we have spoken, uh, spoken even to fishing organisations over the last year or so who have concerns and feel when uh, turbines are erected, it does have an impact on the livelihood of the fishers in that area. So that's why they want people to go along uh, to this meeting. And also a WhatsApp in here. This is from uh, Mary, who was in the Kinsale area. Uh, she is looking for more information on where they are. She said she didn't realise these meetings were going ahead until she heard the interview. Uh, she wants to know what exactly is happening with these. Well, Mary, the, in, the public meetings are going ahead today in Kinsale, where you are, and that's in the Kinsale Community and Sports Centre in Kappa in Kinsale from one thirty to 3.30. And again then uh, in tomorrow in Ahada District Community Centre in Upper Ahada from one thirty to 3.30. They want people to sit down, chat with them, make consultations, make representations and there'll be further then uh, and a follow-on to these meetings which are happening right across the South Coast in towards October. Uh, so this is just the first part of the meetings. Now we also uh, spoke about the energy companies who met with Antishok Lear Varadkar yesterday. Uh, he wants more done from an energy company point of view by way of reductions as wholesale gas is reducing. He wants the reductions passed on to consumers as the energy companies are making huge profits at the moment. Well, John is asking the energy companies to reduce prices is the same, he says, as the government asking supermarkets to reduce their prices, which they have done as well. But John says the supermarkets reduce the price of milk and butter, but then the prices of everything else. They went up, feels John. Inflation is at 7%, but grocery inflation is 15% and nobody seems to question this and we continue to be fleeced. Uh, John on text to 0862103103 yeah, and I mean, we did discuss this at length earlier on in the week and indeed last week regarding the high costs and you don't need us to tell uh, you when you go along to the, do your grocery shopping in any supermarket, no matter where you go, there has been a substantial increase, uh, more so in the last three or four months when we heard inflation was reducing. I think more people noticed the price of food going up within our supermarkets. So it, it has uh, seen an inflation increase. I think we're all paying as a nearly 800 euros more uh, for our shopping this year than we did last year and a number of companies have carried out research on that so yeah you are right John maybe you feel like oh there's that when they reduce a certain item in a supermarket well they make up for it by increasing other items and then that's how we see the increase unfolding for the inflation within our supermarkets and groceries on the up. Some products go down, but then others go up. Thank you, John, on uh, text and indeed WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. On Friday, on our R's to Protect series uh, this week, we're going to meet the founder of a Yol-based solid perfume business, Arona. And this is Nora Irwin, who has an interest in nature and indeed a commitment to sustainability and eco-friendly products. We'll meet Nora and hear more about that on R's to Protect. It's on this Friday at about quarter to 12 here at C103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business support. All across the county, see corkcoco.ie.
The newly restored bells at St Mary's Church of Ireland in Donnerail, they will be rung for the first time this evening at 7.30pm. You can go along there to the church. There'll be a raffle there and indeed complimentary teas and coffees tonight in Donnerail. And Clonacilty Community Care, they will reopen their Thursday night club. That's going ahead tomorrow night from 7.30 until 10 o'clock with bingo, tea, music and dancing. It's a great night out for meeting and indeed making new friends. And McCroom Flower and Garden Club will host a floral demonstration by Anne Hester. It's entitled Welcome Autumn and that takes place on this coming Thursday at 8 o'clock at Cool Car House in McCroom. And Red Hurley will take to the stage this coming Friday evening at 8 o'clock at St George's Arts and Heritage Centre in Mitchellstown. Tickets are available from Eventbrite and indeed at local outlets including Reedy's Kitchen Market, The Favourite and Roaches Bar in Mitchellstown. And Bingawa Harvest Festival tractor and car run will take place on this coming Sunday at 11.30am in Copine. They'll be supporting Marymount Hospice and cancer treatment at CUH and indeed at Breakthrough Cancer. And if you want to include your event in the Cork Diary, you can email us email diary at c103.ie you remember yesterday on the show we spoke with Kerry. Kerry is a paramedic and she travels and commutes from Skull to the UK for work because she can't get work here in Ireland even though she is a qualified paramedic and indeed we are looking for paramedics and indeed uh, not only paramedics but uh, we're also looking uh, for uh, a lot of doctors and GPs in this country. There is a shortage. Well, she told her story to us yesterday. We had a number of other paramedics who indeed uh, live and would like to work here in Ireland but cannot work here in Ireland and have to travel to uh, the UK for work and we've received more overnight and you would think this was an isolated incident that was Kerry and maybe a, a number of other people uh, were affected by this but no we've got a, a huge reaction to this uh, from people who just simply can't get work within our health service. Uh, one of those is Kieran who was emailed us and Kieran said I listened to Kerry, uh, your paramedic who spoke with you yesterday. Well I am also an advanced paramedic registered in the UK and Ireland and I too have to travel to the UK and indeed back on a weekly basis. I have tried several times to get work with the HSC. It is just impossible to get into the Irish Health Service. Unnecessary hoops to climb through for a job that I've been doing every day for six to seven years. I know others who were also in a similar situation. I'm starting to look at a different career now as I'm getting tired of the travelling. And Kieran's making an interesting point here because we have heard, as I mentioned, from so many other, others who live in Cork who were in this situation. Uh, and we just thought there would have been one or two, but there's a lot more. Uh, Kieran's making a point regarding the unions. One of them he's pointing out is SIP2 and indeed other unions. He says they have a lot to answer to as well. Any mention of a structure change or discussion around agency staff and they pull the handbrake on cooperation with the National Ambulance Service. So unions need to be looked at and the role they play within the health service. Kieran, thank you for your email. You can email us corktoday at c103.ie. And, you know, when we did speak with Kerry yesterday, we didn't realise we'd get that much reaction. Isn't it sad to think that we keep going about a shortage of paramedics and even the Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly, was out yesterday and he did say that uh, because of so many future diseases that we will have to deal 
deal with in this country. He feels that we do need an increase in paramedics within our health service. And yet we have Kerry and we have Kieran and we had a few more yesterday who are in touch with us who are going through that situation whereby they want to work in Ireland and they can't work in Ireland. And they have tried so much to, to work within the HSC uh, to do various courses to meet anything they need to meet within the HSC in Irish law. But uh, no luck and they still have to commute to the UK. But the worrying thing now is are we going to lose those paramedics because Kerry has already taken up bar work. So here's a, a qualified paramedic uh, going to work in a bar. And we have Kieran who could be doing similar. He's qualified, but is just sick of you know, trying to, first of all, get into the Irish Health Service and sick of travelling. So now he's looking also at a, a different career. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. 0818 103 103. And Jamie has been in touch because he, and we did discuss this a number of months ago, any follow-up uh, to the government's plan to go ahead and ban gambling ads. Uh, Joe Heffernan on your show often talks about the effects gambling can have on a person and indeed the wider family. And only recently we heard how young boys are starting at the age of 14 or 15 gambling because of certain adverts and apps out there. Uh, Well, they are, Jamie. We can tell you it's only been announced within the last few days, but there is, as you would expect, pushback on this. The government is proceeding anyhow with plans to ban uh, this daytime gambling ads on television in a move that could block uh, the two dedicated racing channels in Ireland because at the moment it's the junior minister at the Department of Justice, James Brown, he has told uh, his colleagues that it would not be legally sustainable to grant a derogation to the racing TV channel or indeed to Sky Sports Racing to permit them to be exempt from the provisions of the gambling regulation bill. And when you look at the latest stories coming out on younger people and a lot of the daytime adverts do go out when maybe there's younger programming and people maybe are back home from school and TV is on in the background and they're watching these adverts. Uh, and some TDs at the time were asking, would sporting channels be affected? Uh, but as the, the, the minister is saying, you know, why if you exempt those and maybe they are targeting the ones who end up gambling, uh, where do you stop? So this move anyhow is seemingly going to go ahead. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any exemptions, even though it is being lobbied heavily uh, by the horse racing industry. The gambling ads on television broadcast in Ireland between 5.30 and 9pm, that would all change. That they'd be banned basically you won't be able to advertise uh, from a gambling point of view during those times uh, Horse Racing Ireland uh, has of course the media rights deals for and with those uh, two racing channels those deals continue then seemingly from 2024 up to 2028 and they have warned uh, that it would not be viable to broadcast the channels in Ireland on a separate stream from that which is broadcast in the UK uh, thus you would effectively then be blocking uh, the adverts from the Irish airwaves and indeed maybe the racing as well from the Irish airwaves is what they are saying. Uh, The internal government briefing note also claims that creating a separate feed then if that was proposed to the racing channels for one of them racing TV, they said it would cost them an estimated 2 million euros to do that. Officials argued and they said that relative to the overall rights fee, it should be able to develop a separate broadcasting stream for Ireland free from gambling advertising because obviously they rely on that. Uh, But the uh, horse racing Ireland, they have come back and they're now again lobbying politicians to disapply the daytime advertising ban for a dedicated subscription based horse racing channels that they represent. Uh, We'll have to wait and see what happens over the moment. It's still very much up in the air, but it does look like it is going to go ahead Whatever happens with the racing channels, I'm not too sure. I mean, you would presume that they want them banned on that as well. And that's one of the reasons why if people 
are watching the racing channels outside of the young people, Jamie, you mentioned, uh, if those who may be becoming addicted to gambling, they're going to watch those channels for the horse racing. And indeed, if they see the bet, it may encourage them to put a bet on. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. For the moment, it is. it looks like anyhow that it is going ahead. Jamie, thank you for your email. Uh, Cork today at c103.ie or indeed you can call Bernie. Now your gardening questions are welcome. If you have those, Peter Dodal will join us next. Uh, 0818103103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Cork today on C103. And time to go gardening as usual. We're joined by Peter Dodal, the irishgardener.com. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? Great. Enjoying the sunshine. Enjoying the fine weather. More more seasonal today. It's not quite as hot as last week. It isn't. No, it's a, a lot fresher. <laughs> Temperatures have totally changed our right and maybe more in line than what we used to uh, for this time of the year, what they should be for this time of the year. Uh, a lot of talk, before we get into the questions, Peter, of um, a certain rugby player with Ireland, Peter Omani, and his <laughs> garden over the week. And, you know, I was thinking of you because they were all asking who will be mowing his lawn. And I said, sure, we have our own celebrity gardener <laughs> to the stars here who looks after his garden. <laughs> well, I don't look after his garden, but I know his garden well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is uh, he's quite um quite the anorak when it comes to the lawn, in fairness to him, yeah, he does, but it is it is a stunning lawn in fairness to him. It is a fairness, he does look after it well. Anyhow, uh let's get into a number of questions in Peter. First of all, uh, this is one from Una in Fromoy, if you can uh, give some advice to Una. She has some type of animal, she presumes it could be a fox that, that is digging large <laughs> holes in her front lawn. Now, would Peter have any answers or how well, for First of all, if she can prevent this and what she can do to sort out her lawn. I don't, I'm afraid. It's a very short answer to that one. I, it, it very probably is a fox. It could be rabbits, of course, but it, it depends. It, depending on where you are to, it could even be a badger. Badgers are more likely to, to, to go digging at the, the base of trees. Uh, it very possibly is a fox. In fact, uh, I saw a fox myself last night in my own front garden. Now, I live in a, a, an urban area. Uh, and but that that's not uncommon, of course, to see foxes get becoming more and more urban. But no, there's nothing really, to the best of my knowledge, certainly. Obviously, other people may may have ideas and advice they can offer. But to the best of my my knowledge, no, I'm afraid there's nothing you can do really to stop it. Okay, Una, and I suppose then from her lawn point of view, with holes that are dug up, repairing the lawn, any ideas there? If there's going to be a patch of grass missing, and how to get that back growing again, or will it just happen yeah, naturally? Well, it, yeah, no, it's it's quite straightforward to 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 fix it. Like, I mean, obviously, nature will 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 green it up in time if if the animal isn't at it anymore. But you'll be left with a divot, so it's quite straightforward. Just put in a bit of like where the where they've dug up, just put in a bit of fresh topsoil and and just your your grass seed on top of it, water it well, and that'll germinate quite quickly at this time of the year. The 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 only thing is though, if if the problem persists, so in other words, I can't offer a magic wand to stop Mister Fox from coming back. So if he does. You, you, you might be time wasting by repairing it if he's going to come and keep digging it. So um, maybe maybe your vet that you, you have on might have an, an idea coming from the animal point of view in a way to stop. If it's rabbits, you could try using um, grazers, the product grazers that repel water the lawn, water the grass with grazers. You'd want to do it two or three times over a couple of weeks. And that makes it will turn them off. It'll stop them from eating. It's normally used on plants because it stops rabbits from eating plants. Uh, but you could try it on the grass and see if it just stops them. If it's rabbits, if it's foxes, I don't think it's going to work. 
Okay, hopefully that is some help anyway for you there, Una, regarding the loan. And we will ask Jane tomorrow as well if she can uh, provide any answers uh, on the fox coming into that loan. Tessa is in the city, Peter. Tessa is wondering uh, when is the best time uh, to harvest her pumpkins? Now, they look like they're ripe at the moment. And obviously enough, she wants them for Halloween. So what would you uh, recommend to Tess? I would leave them on, leave them on the, the vine for as long as you can, really. Let them, they probably are close enough to ripe now. All they're doing now is getting bigger and bigger. So I would leave them on for as long as, as long as you want, really. The, the time to take them off then is if you see any sign of damage. Uh, it, obviously, if we're, hopefully we won't be getting any frosts, early frosts worth talking about before Halloween. But if there was a forecast for low temperatures, then you might want to take them in before that because uh, they could, if it was a severe frost, they could just turn to mush. So you don't want that to happen. But I would say between now and October, or between now and Halloween, you should be okay. So I would leave them on, certainly for another couple of weeks yet. Just let them get that bit bigger. Okay, and uh, Texa here, I think this is, they have dried nasturtium seeds that they want, uh, that, that's gone very mouldy. Now, they don't know why it's gone mouldy and what to do with it. Uh, do they need to dry it out more or what would you recommend? Yes, I would say they haven't dried it out enough. Now, with the fact that it has got mouldy, it may you may not fix that by drying it out further. It may, it may just rot it. I, I'm wondering, were they harvesting the seed and drying the seed just from the point of view of planting it out for new plants or were they going to, to be doing something else with it, uh, like getting the oil out of it or anything? I'm just going to assume that they were just using it for new plants, in which case I, I would just rub the seed kind of with a soft brush or even a cloth to rub most of the mould off uh, and just store it then somewhere where dry, uh, wrap it in a bit of newspaper or brown paper. Um, and that should be enough because nasturtium seed is, is fairly trouble-free. It's fairly easy uh, and plant them out again next spring. Okay, Anna's in Bantry now. She has a problem with apples uh, which are falling off a tree, but all the apples, most of them anyhow, are, are, seem to be rotten. So she wants to know, should all the apples be taken down now or is it just too late for the entire crop? It depends what's caused it, unfortunately, but it probably is some kind of a fungal infection that that, it, that has led to it because of the amount of rain we've had this July and August. Um, hard to say whether the whole crop is a write-off. I would probably would, though, do what she's saying. I probably would try and harvest the whole tree now. Uh, and if there is any that are worth salvaging, do it now before the, the, the infection spreads into them. So I would think the right thing to do, yes, is to take them all down now and see what you have. Okay, and best of luck with that. And Denise is in Bishopstown. Uh, she wants to know uh, when is the best time to cut back her peony tree? Uh, is what she is down here. Okay, well, she 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 she's probably asking the right question, but just sorry. The reason I say that is just just because there's two different types of peonies. So you have the peony rose, or you have the tree peony. Now she is saying the peony tree, so she probably is asking the correct thing because the reason I say all this is because the normal peonies, the peony roses, are herbaceous, which means they'll go to sleep now for the winter, John Paul, which means they just die back and you need to do nothing really except remove that dead growth uh, when it does when it does go brown. The tree peony is slightly different. It's 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 like a, a small tree. It, it forms woody stems, but it does drop its leaves. It's a, like a deciduous tree. So if that's what we're talking about, and I, I'm obviously going to assume that it is, um, the, you rarely, there's no need to prune it really, you don't ever prune it, but if you have to prune it, so in other words, if it's interfering with driveway or something like that, or getting it's just getting too big for its allotted space, or it's interfering with anything, uh, you could prune it, where are we, September, you could certainly prune it now, you could prune it back uh, quite a bit now, or else you could leave it till early March and prune it back then.
And a lot of questions coming in regarding apple trees, Peter, today. This is another one. This is somebody who has dug up a three-year-old apple tree. They want to know, can they replant them in a different place or are they likely to die now? If you've dug it up now, uh, like in the last week or so or yesterday or today, it, it is unfortunately, you have absolutely hugely increased the risk of it dying because it's still actively growing. And particularly with the warm temperatures that we've been having, it needs to get every bit of moisture in through that root system that it can. Uh, so when you take it out of the ground, even for a minute, once you, you see when you take anything out of the ground, obviously enough, you're going to be severing some of the roots. Uh, and it's through the extremities of the root system where the root hairs, which are microscopic, that's what takes the water and nutrients out of the soil. So obviously by taking something out of the ground, you're going to be losing a lot of them, leaving them behind. Um, and, that you've now diminished that tree's ability to, to to get its own water, which is why it's important that we only do this work during the winter when the tree isn't actively growing and it has a chance to repair that root damage before the active growth starts again in the spring. So a long-winded answer of or a long-winded way to say, give it a go. In other words, move it immediately if it's out of the ground. If it's not out of the ground yet, leave it until November, December, January. If it is out of the ground, uh, planted in its new home straight away. I would prune it back very hard. I would remove nearly 50% of the growth uh, to try and counteract the root damage that's been done um, and then just soak it with water every day from, from now until, you know, nature will do it a lot of the days, obviously, you now this time of the year, but, but soak it until nature takes care of it. And even then, I'm afraid that there is quite a substantial risk that, that you lose it. But, but it's going to be a bit of trial and error, I'm afraid. And we'll stay with apple trees because uh, another person here has an apple tree. They planted it for years, but the last two years it has blossomed slightly. And this year, over 30 apples, uh, which are still quite hard, though, are on the tree. But when do you know when to pick them uh, when they are ripe? The apples, of course, that is. And also, Peter, what is the best fertiliser for them and when should they apply it? Well, dealing with the fertiliser first, uh, uh, if it's a mature tree, I would say that there, there shouldn't really be any need to fertilise it if it's a mature tree. Um, and what I, w- would, what I would always kind of like to do instead is just keep adding good organic matter around the base of the tree just to improve the soil. If you have a good, healthy soil, you won't need to be adding fertilisers. And what I mean by good organic matter, it could be your own homemade compost. It could be farmyard manure that's been well rotted, mushroom compost, any kind of good organic matter that will rot down and improve the soil structure and add to the humus content. That's the kind of magic stuff that you can add to the soil. Uh, alternatively, just to promote blossom, you could put down some sulfate of potash, which is uh, will, will help to promote blossom and then obviously fruit. You would do that just before the, 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 the tree comes into bloom, to March, April, depending, is when you would do that. Uh, and the in terms of when do you know wh- 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 when the apples are ripe and when you can take them down, when you start leave when you start seeing one or two of them fall and they're ripe, well then if if you go up this the kind of old rule of thumb is if you if you grab the apple on the tree and if you give it half a turn uh, with your hand, if it comes off easy after half a turn in your hand and falls off, then absolutely it's ripe. But if it takes more effort than that, it's just not ripe yet. So so a good shake or a half a turn and that'll any ones that are ripe will come off easily. If they if they don't come off that easily, give them another another few days or weeks.
Alright and uh, by the way Una who was on earlier regarding the Fox a bit of advice from Jerry in Glonthorn he says that the Fox more than likely he, if he's digging a hole he's looking for insects Jerry feels he won't come back to the same place again uh, they don't stay around the same area for very long uh, Jerry seems to be in the know there for in Glonthorn so uh, hopefully Una that will give you some solace there regarding your lawn and we will ask Jane as well tomorrow on that and I'm not too sure Peter if you can answer this one this is for Eileen in the city she has a lot of what she describes as thin black crawlies around the garden and some in the house also. Uh, she, she wants to know what they are. Now, I don't know if you, it would be hard to describe what they are, uh, but any way of getting rid of them? <laughs> thin black crawlies. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll try and identify them. I, would, I suspect they could well be millipedes, which you would see a lot of at More this likely, uh, time yeah. of the year. And, and they, they would be on, on house walls a lot and things mm. like that. Um, they're, they're quite... <laughs> crunchy for want of a better word if you were to squash them or stand on them uh, they're, you know, they're, they're not soft like an earthworm so that, that, that's how you know if it's a millipede or not uh, they're absolutely harmless doing no harm at all no need to control them outside if they're in your house realistically the best thing is just you know the few that are there just, just remove them by hand and throw them outside instead of putting in any chemicals or anything like that I know um, it was I had heard before rather that using Jay's fluid washing the outside wall with Jay's fluid mixed with water uh, does put them off coming onto the walls. So you could try that if you wanted. Um, not sure how environmentally sound Jay's fluid is to be, you know, drenching the, the house and garden with, but I have heard that that will stop them before. However, if they're only on the outside walls, I wouldn't be in the least bit worried. Even if you think they're a bit unsightly, they won't be there for long. Uh, obviously, inside the house, you don't want them, but I would say just, just remove them by hand uh, unless it's becoming a bigger problem. And finally, we last week we had a question regarding tomatoes. We sent you on the photos, so I'm not too sure if you had a chance to take a look at them. Uh, but there are tomatoes this person has set. Um, they never developed, basically, and she wants to know why they look like they haven't developed. They look like they were scab on some of the tomatoes. And also another question this week then from Ginny, who has grown tomatoes. Uh, but some of her tomato crop have grown and they're perfect and some haven't developed at all. And she's wondering, why is this? It's hard to know without more information as to why. They, I did have a look at those photographs just mm. very briefly last yeah. week, and it looked to me to just to be, you know, I didn't see scab on, I didn't, maybe I didn't see all the photographs, but I didn't see any sign of scab, but uh, it looked to me, the photographs you sent, it might just be patience. I would give them time to develop some more, uh, to, to fatten up and to ripen. Um, so I would say from the photographs I saw last week, that's what I would think. With the second question there now today, JP, as to why some developed and some didn't without seeing, without getting a bit more information as to in terms of are they in the same place or are they in a, getting less light or more light? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, it could be that they're different varieties. It could be, as I say, that they're getting less light. Maybe they got less water or, or less feed. Um, but as I say, it's, it's a difficult one to say for sure. It could also, if it's just a question of the variety, they might be slightly later to, to ripen. Um but but if 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 that does if none of those answer it certainly come back to us next week with more information and I'll do my best to to shed some light on it. Okay, Peter, thank you for that, and we'll chat to you next Wednesday again. Peter Doddall there from the Irishgardener dot com, and indeed you can check him out on Facebook or indeed on Instagram. You can find him under the Irish Gardener. Uh, now, from gardening to the roads, and uh, road safety has been spoken about a lot this week. I've just got a video in uh, that was taken last night in uh, Mallow, and this is as you're approaching from. Bush- event to Mallow Town itself and passing the the N20 plazas and that what they call it uh, that area there of a car now I hope the driver of this car is okay I'm not too sure what the story is initially at the video 
I thought they were trying to pass out a bus, but then it seems they just narrowly miss one of the islands on the road and signposts, and then they nearly drive into another car. It does look like the driver uh, was falling asleep or tired. I hope it wasn't um, a health incident, but anyhow, just a word of warning. This person says be careful on the roads, uh, and indeed do uh, when you see circumstances like that. Don't know the full story behind that. I hope everybody's okay, but just always take care on the roads, uh, says that person who sent in the video to us earlier on. And thank you for that. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning with Cork Today from 10am. Enjoy your Wednesday afternoon. Hey Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.